This is episode 51 of the Rising Man podcast with Brendan Durrell. On your mark, get set, grow. Welcome back, risers, and happy 2019 to you. This is your host and creator of the show, Jetty Azuma, and we are kicking off 2019 with a bang. For all of you out there who are, wherever you are in the world, I hope that your 2019 is looking to be bigger and better than ever before, and that you got a plan set up for yourself for how you're going to conquer the world. As mentioned in this last Monday morning meditation episode, a lot of new things for the Rising Man podcast that have been formulating for a while and officially ready to launch. Number one. The Rising Man podcast is officially affiliated with the Conscious Man Brotherhood, sometimes referred to as CMB. This is an organization that I have been a part of, one of the founding fathers of for a while, and in some conversations with some of the other men involved, decided that it was time for the Rising Man podcast to cross over and become a part of the Conscious Man Brotherhood. So I'm pleased to announce that and also want to encourage every one of you guys who's been listening. I know that many of you have been following the podcast for a while, have been a part of the Rising Man Facebook group, I decided to put all of these conversations in one place. So I'm really encouraging everyone to, if you're not already a member of the PAC Facebook group, please head over to facebook.com slash groups slash the PAC Brotherhood. One word, no spaces, no underscores, the PAC Brotherhood. A lot more dialogue and conversations happening there. There's over 1,500 guys and coaches from Conscious Man Brotherhood and Man Cave that you've heard me speak a lot about. Just a lot of really great deep dialogue that's happening and constantly men coming on there, sharing breakthroughs, sharing breakdowns and sharing their experiences. A lot of good insights and content from men who have been on the journey, who have been coaching for a while, who have a lot of wisdom to offer. So really excited about that opportunity and for everything else that that will bring in the future. So big ups to my Conscious Man Brotherhood, my CMB squad, and everybody that's a part of the pack. And also before we get into today's amazing guest, I want to remind all of you that Elements is kicking off again. The three-day wilderness immersion training for men is happening here in Ojai, California, January 18th through the 20th. Our first Elements weekend was tremendous, and I'm looking forward to getting in for round two. For those of you who are not familiar, for those of you who haven't checked out the Elements landing page, it is an immersive initiation weekend for men where we spend three days in the wilderness, where we remove all the distractions of our normal day-to-day lives to get real, to get rugged, to get raw, and to get to the bottom of what is going to make us the best version of ourselves that we can be so that we can take that back home to our families, to our clients, to our coworkers, to our communities, and be the men that we've always wanted to be. So deep, deep, deep connection work with other men, deep connection work with ourselves. Every man walks away with a tremendous breakthrough and insight for his life. If you want to be a part of this and you want to start 2019 off the right way, head over to rise.jettyazuma.com slash elements to reserve your seat today. All right, without further ado, my guest for today is none other than the illustrious Brendan Bam Darrell Davis, my man. He's also a member of the Conscious Man Brotherhood, one of the founding fathers, coach in Man Cave. He is a former professional athlete who is currently a universally transformed holistic coach and sacred space holder. He's deeply passionate about love, interconnectedness, and providing safe bridges for people to navigate who they truly are with confidence. Bam has a background in energy healing rooted in shamanic teachings. He's gone from sipping Gatorade in locker rooms to drinking sacred cacao in ceremony, and he is deeply grateful and inspired to live fully in his flavor of light. 
So in this episode, really had an amazing conversation with Bam. A few of the things that we really focused in on are the challenges that male athletes face, including feeling like a commodity. A lot of people are talking about sports and athletics, especially professional sports, as modern day slavery. So we talked a little bit about that. We talked about how male athletes often shut down their feelings and emotions to maintain a machismo or to maintain an image without going really deep. I was I was really surprised to hear just how blocked off and shut down male athletes are. I, I was an athlete myself pretty much my whole life, but even into professional level, these men are really, really shut off and blocked down. So really fascinating to hear that. And, and also the need to perform that a lot of these athletes are, are under, a lot of the stresses, you know, and when, when your job is professional sports, there's a lot of pressure on that. So we spoke a lot about that. Bam had a lot of great insights. We also spoke about finding your true path by following the breadcrumbs. Bam is no longer a professional athlete, but he has found a very fulfilling life in the work that he does now. So we spoke a little bit about creating the life of your dreams and how Bam went about that and some other ways that men in the world have gone about that, especially men in our circles, and how to find and appreciate the abundance in your life that is not monetary. Huge, 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 huge takeaway. So, so without further ado, Brendan Bam Darrell Davis. All right, live and in the flesh, or I guess the digital flesh, we got my man, Brendan Darrell Davis, affectionately known as Bam. What's up, brother? How you doing, man? What up, Jay? How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm really good, man. Up here, freezing my butt off in Montana. I know you're down in SoCal enjoying the life down there, right? <laughs> yeah, man. It's been a little cold here, too, man. Been like low 50s, man. It's been, it's been kind of cold here, too. Yeah, it wasn't in the teens today, though. I guarantee you that. <laughs> Not like it was up here. Yeah, man. But... It's really good, man. For those of you guys who are listening, Bam is a, a dear brother of mine. We work together closely in the with the Conscious Man Brotherhood and Man Cave with our man Preston Smiles. It's it's this big family that's starting to circulate and, and develop out here on the West Side, man. And you're an East Coaster too, and you're out here now on the West Coast life. How are you liking it so far? Yeah, man, I love it. But I'm from Jersey, just like you, man. Yep. And I'm just loving this SoCal, the vibes, the energy, everything about it, man. It's it's my shoes. Mm-hmm. It, well, it, it looks good on you, man. It fits so far, so... Keep it rocking. Cool. So let's let's jump right in, man. You know, I, I told you before we got on this call in this conversation that I'm really looking to have more of a an active dialogue between men. You know, what is it? What are what are we really experiencing as men right now? And I think you're the perfect guest to have to kick that off because you keep it 100 all the time. I know that. But let me start off and ask you a couple of questions that I typically ask my guests and see how that leads us off. So this first one, man, is what is the difference between a boy and a man? For me. I feel the difference between a boy and a man is the willingness to have uncomfortable conversations, the willingness to step in and to represent yourself in a way that expresses who you are and what you want to say fluently. Mm-hmm. And what would, when would you say that that shift or transition happened for you? When, when would you say that you could, you could look back and say, yeah, that's when I became a man. Or that's when I really stepped into my manhood. And being 100% real, I'd say just early this year, man. Yeah. Like 100% just early this year. And how did you know? Well, we had that inside joke, forehead sweat, man. (laughs) (laughs) I knew because by the people I was surrounded by, by being surrounded by you, Preston, all the rest of our brothers in CMB, I realized that I I called accountability in and I called this type of energy in that's going to call me forward and raise me up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I can relate to that. I had a lot of what I would call false starts when when it came to recognizing myself as a man. I thought I was a man. I started to talk like a man and and pretend that I was a man and had a lot of moments in my twenties where I was like, oh wait, I'm really not showing up the way I think a man should until now. And so I think that that's something that 
we we can believe that we've crossed that threshold, but you really know it. It's, there is like a crystalline moment when you say, "Yeah, I'm I'm really being my word in my life right now. I'm really living according to a code of values, a code of ethics that are mine, that I honor, that I uphold." That that was that was when I really felt the transition occurred for me. Mm-hmm. I know the story you're talking about, man. Yeah, having those uncomfortable conversations and really stepping forward into being accountable to the choices that we've made and how our actions have influenced others. A lot of guests in the past for on this on this podcast have shared a lot of the same things. There's definitely some alignment there. Anything else? Yeah, absolutely, man. And like also, I've always been heart-centered. I've always been love-centered. As we speak in the realm of archetypes, I've always been in my magician mm-hmm. and lover and just love people and animals and things. But in the shadow aspects of my masculinity, I realized there were times when I was just loving people based on conditions. And that's that's not a man being in his full king and his full embodiment. And that was very clear to me early this year. I was I was loving people without the unconditional in front of mm, it. Mm-hmm. And so so let's talk a little bit more about that because I bet there's a lot of men out there who are doing that either consciously or unconsciously. So when you're when you're loving people conditionally, what does that look like? Oh, conditionally, it's aspects of what's in it for me. Mm. It could be aspects of if shit hits the fan, I'm not willing to work on it, so I'm gonna leave. Mm. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say peace out. I'm willing to sabotage a relationship and start new as opposed to working on something that should be worked on or at least cleared. Mm. So naturally, we think about intimate relationships a lot. So let's start there. In an intimate relationship, what does loving conditionally t- tend to look like, or what did it look like for you as a man? For me as a man, it was somebody who who didn't challenge me per se. You know, somebody if they if they did challenge me, it was like, oh, she she doesn't like me. She doesn't love me. She doesn't care about me. I took it as like a like a trigger, like a straight up, just like she's not on team bam. So I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna peace out. Mm. That was like conditions. I wasn't loving back unconditionally, seeing that maybe she's doing this to level me up or to raise me up. Mm. So it was it was based on conditions. If if you didn't agree with me or if there was a slight of resistance, like I wasn't about him. Mm. Yeah. As soon as that contrarian wave comes in from partners, whether it's an intimate relationship or not, if we go that other direction and say, Hey, well, screw you, you know, or we write people off. That's a pretty clear indication that, yeah, we're not, not very open to feedback and, and growth isn't really possible if we're not open to um, people pre- holding up a mirror to us that we may not want to look at. And it's really hard when it's a partner though. <laughs> I'll be honest, man. It's, oh, it's yeah. still hard. I'm, I'm, you know, gosh, how many years into marriage now? I'm four, four and a half years into marriage and getting that mirror held up to me still is uncomfortable, man. I don't know if it'll ever be comfortable, but I know there's value in it for me. And I know that you know that too. I know that any relationship you step into, yeah. you know there's value in that mirror if we can lower our guard for a minute and really take a look at it, right? Absolutely, 100%. So even outside of intimate relationships, what does loving conditionally look like with your parents or with your friends or other people in your life? Yeah, like with parents, like I just know from my experience, like many of us, like I I, I was modeled after like a conditional disciplinary system. You do something good and a good boy mm-hmm. in a way. And then when, when you don't do something good, you get something taken away from you or however the discipline might look to you. Being raised in that, so, so for instance, let me get some context to that. Say for instance, I played, I played baseball my whole life. And say I would have a game, I have four at-bats, I would hit two home runs out of those four at-bats. And then somebody in my family would say, well, what about the other two at-bats? How come, how come you, you, you struck out? Or how come you grounded out to the third baseman? So it would immediately go not from a praise, it would go straight to the negative aspect of it. So from early on, it was just straight up conditions. And for me, in my shadow aspects of, of being a man, it was something that I was carrying with, with everybody and everything. Mm. Um, 
I was always looking at, you can say the the fruit that dropped off the tree and started rotting as opposed to the healthy fruit in the tree. Yes, man. I'm, I can relate so much to that. I, I tell a very similar story of my childhood. I have my, I have a great mother, you know, and, and I know that everything she was doing the best, she's the best she could raising myself, and my two other brothers. And when I would come home with a report card, if there was six A's and a B, the first question was what happened with that B? What's that about? Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how, how those, how much those things get impressed upon us as children, catching myself falling into some of those default modes, even, even with raising my son now with all of the, all of the work I've done on myself, all the consciousness, all the awareness that I brought to how I show up in the world, those behaviors, those practices get, get embedded in us, get imprinted in us unless we take a look at them. And, and start to shift them. So interesting uh, what you're sharing about the what, what you received as a child, what you learned about love, and then how that showed up in your adult life as you as you grew up. Yeah, man. As even now, it's like when I say friendships, family, relationships, it's if something doesn't go in accordance to how I feel it should go, can I love how it didn't go as much as how it would have went? Mm-hmm. And that, that's where the unconditional aspect, peace, has come into my life, is can I love the stuff that didn't work out, quote unquote, as much as the stuff that would have worked out. Mm, awesome, man. Well, let's let's use that as an opportunity to segue in, back into some of your story because now I'm really interested to hear about how a ball player from Jersey found his way into unconditional love and being an empowerment coach and and you know lighting up people all over the world. So tell us a little bit about just being an athlete and what your experience was like there. Yeah, man. I played ball, basketball and baseball from a young age, born in Red Bank, New Jersey, grew up between there and Staten Island, New York. And baseball was just my thing, man. It was my outlet. I was an insecure little chubby kid (laughs) who could hit bombs in baseball, (laughs) hit the ball over the fence. Everybody needs one of those on their team. (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Like I was blessed. I was blessed to be um, an athletic overweight kid, man. I was one of them. And essentially I played ball for about baseball for about 24 years, played through high school, played travel ball. Was blessed enough to play, to have a scholarship and play college baseball. Then I played professional ball and then international ball. And baseball for me, at first, it, it was a traveling thing for me. It was something that my father, he was very supportive. Like we didn't, times we didn't have money, we didn't have anything. And he would find ways to send me on, put me on a flight when I was 15 years old to California to come play in a baseball tournament. Even though that he couldn't come, he would send me making sacrifices. So baseball was something that I bonded with my father with, something that it was, uh, it was more than a hobby. It was legit like life for me because it was, it was where I received the most praise mm. within my life. I was known Bam is a nickname from baseball when I was eight years old. Bam Hitting Bam. bombs. <laughs> like from the Flintstones. Hitting <laughs> bombs, man. So, um, so yeah, man. And then like traveling, like the aspects going to this state, that state, and then this country, that country, I started seeing different cultures and seeing different people and then realizing that legit that we're, we're all in this big ass playing field of earth mm. trying to make things I'm going accordance to how our heart is. Mm. And so just that aspect of just seeing people, meeting people and experiencing cultures started expanding my life and my my vision mm. for, for my journey, especially being from New York, New Jersey. From my experience, from the people that I know who are in my circle, they don't travel that much and they, they don't get out of the tri-state area that much. And if they do, it's maybe well, Florida, Bahamas or something like that, Jamaica. But they don't really don't go to different continents and stuff like that. So for me to do that at a young age, it was um, it changed my life and it just amplified my heart space with with people. So so that's when you started to get your worldly perspective, even as a even as a young man. Mm-hmm. Before we dig into a little more of that, I want to hear something about the the shadow side of athletics of the sports world because I mean it's a 
it's got to be like what, like a trillion dollar industry, just sports and athletics. I mean, there's guys that are making, you know, nine figure salaries on their contracts now. It's just incredible how much money is being dumped into this, this entertainment industry, really. So as someone who's played on every single level, all the way up to pro ball, tell, tell us a little bit about the shadow side and maybe your experience with that and what, what it was like for you. And the shadow side is that uh, you're a commodity. Mm-hmm. You're no longer a man. You're no longer a human. You're, you're a number. You fill a roster. If you can't do it, you're easily replaced mm-hmm. by somebody else. There were times when I, I knew that there was a chance that I might be released or traded if I didn't perform well one night. And then that means that I'm not going to have a job. Um, I'm not going to have a check coming in. And then it's back to the drawing board, mm. sort of say. So this that industry in general, it taught me a lot about enjoying the moment. And and I and I say that now as I reflect, because when I was playing, I was so tense, I was so stressed out, I didn't enjoy the moment mm. because it, it became more of a job than it was an actual hobby, like a heart-centered hobby. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of people who make comparisons to modern day sports and slavery. That it's like a it's it's like a modern day version of slavery. Would would you agree with that assessment? Mm-hmm. And do you have anything to say about that? Absolutely, man. Like I, I see that for the men out there. I don't watch sports as much as I used to, but um, you see the NFL, NBA. Man, it's it's to me, it's the same shit, different toilet. That's that's how I see it. It's what you can do for me, and bigger, faster, stronger, all those things. And if you can't do it, I'll get somebody else who can. Mm-hmm. So yeah, man, I see a lot of similarities in that. Mm-hmm. So how does that affect a young man? You know, you, you said that you, you felt like you were a commodity, but how did that influence you? And, and what were some of the stresses that you were put under at a young age? Um, emotionally, it's just you, you learn to tuck shit away. As men, that that's, that's our thing is like we internalize a lot of things. So when it comes to sharing, when it comes to being real or vulnerable with emotions, how I'm feeling, I'm not going to go and tell the guy in my locker next to me that, yo, I'm really stressed tonight. I might, I might be released if I don't get a hit tonight. I might not have a job. So those things, it's like it teaches you just to like, quote unquote, suck it up. And to keep going. And that that dampered me like in a, in a big way, because if you say those things, you're considered as weak. Mm. You're, you're considered like as in, in the culture, you're considered a bitch, mm. like, like sort of say, if you're in that state. So that was not very conducive to, to the soul that I am and or was at the time, because you had to just keep everything in. Yeah, man. In all your years of playing ball, being in, in men's locker rooms and, and sharing that space with other men uh, who are competing, fierce competitors, how many heartfelt, really dropped in, you know, truthful conversations did you have with other men inside those walls? Zero. Zero. Like never, not once. Zero. Wow. Zero. I mean, I mean, one time we had some guys on my team who were small, smoking weed in the house. And then we were just talking about like, just say religions and stuff like that. That was as deep as we went. Huh. Like just that, that kind of, that kind of conversation. Yeah. But it was never anything about emotions, never about how we're feeling, nothing like that. Yeah. But you know, as humans, you can sense when somebody really wants to go a little deeper, like you can feel it, you can see it on their face, even if they're not willing to go there. It's kind of, it's one of the things that we look for as coaches, right? It's like, Hey, there's something else there. Mm-hmm. So how often did you see that? How often did you feel that from other guys in those, lo- in those locker rooms that they wanted to go there, but didn't allow themselves to? Man, it's, it's, it's challenging me for me to think back because I was so numbed out mm-hmm. myself. So it was for me, I, I really, I didn't have that intuitive feel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew guys were, were hurting. I knew guys having whether family problems, girl problems, they got kids at home, they can't provide for them, whatever it, it might be. I know men wanted to go really deep, but for me, it was just, oh, that's just life. That's, that's the nature of the beast here. Mm. So I was pretty numbed out to it too, man. So I, I can't say that I really felt that off a lot of guys. Mm. I mean, I know I met a lot of great dudes who I'm still friends with today who were really deep and lovely men, but I was numbed mm. out. 
How about on the light side of things? Was there anybody that stood out like a coach or a mentor or somebody that was present uh, during your professional career specifically that just stood out that was like, yeah, this is this is someone who really, really steered me in a good direction? Hmm. Maybe somebody who made it about more than just ball. Yeah, man. I mean, my I would just say my father. Like, um, that, that's, that's who it was. Like my father was that, that person. I didn't have, I didn't have that type of person or that would say mentor or coach who was like, this is it. Oh, I have, I had, I had one in high school and he was a former Boston Red Sox player mm-hmm. back in the seventies. His name was Larry Morello. And he was, he was like that for me as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, but like on a deeper level of things, it was pretty much my father who was, who was there for me in my ear. Mm-hmm. So if I'm hearing this correctly, it sounds like there's a lot of men out there, a lot of athletes who aren't getting that that type of love that we're talking about, that that opportunity to really drop in and say what's really, really going on, what's really real. I think about the day after Derek Jeter retired and he released the Players Tribune. I was like, yes, man, finally, an athlete who's willing to go there. And it, and it was it wasn't until after his career, literally the day after he retired, that he was willing to to step out and make that statement. But it seems like there's a little bit of a shift in the wave right now. Like more athletes are, especially with social media, have been empowered to speak their mind and to share a little more vulnerably about what's going on in their lives. Would you say that's true? Yes, I do share. Absolutely. I remember last year, I don't know if you remember when LeBron James was on Cleveland before he left, uh, his teammate Kevin Love had the whole mental health thing. He came out and said that he was severely depressed. Derek Rose, we've had a lot of guys speak up about mental mental health and, and all that. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm a big advocate for these guys doing that because they're humans. We're humans. Like they're, they're men, everyday men. It's somebody's son, somebody's husband, you know, it's somebody's brother. Mm-hmm. So uncle, they experience the same things that every single one of us experience right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. It's like st- same story, different, different characters, right? It's, we can, we can all relate when we strip, strip off those masks and get down to what's really going on. So I'm interested in a little bit more about you. And how you found your way out of professional ball and into what you do now, and and what was what were some of the highlights that steered you in that direction? Some of the insights, the moments, the experiences that helped you get to where you are now. Man, I was playing pro ball in New Mexico, and it was it was rough, man. It was we were earning fifty dollars a week. That's what we were earning fifty bucks a week yeah. to be there, and that's including practices or playing every day. And it wasn't working out, man. So I was like, I'm gonna go and finish graduate school, and I'm just gonna go get a job. I'm just going to cut this dream short because it's not worth it anymore. And upon making that decision, one of my former college teammates, brother from Hawaii, he hit me up and saying that the professional team that he was playing on, like they're looking for a catcher on a free agent block. And I said, man, I'm about to leave this team, about to be released, any opportunity there. And then he put me in contact. And two days later, I was flying to Maui, Hawaii for spring training mm. with like 120 bucks in my pocket. Like <laughs> 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 plane paid for, like hotel paid for, everything paid for just to be there. And going to Hawaii, it was more than just baseball, man. Just being on those islands. I don't know if you've been, um, which you're queen or prior. Yeah, man. It's It changes you, man. The energy there, the the vibration of just what the islands represent. That was the reason why I was playing professional baseball. That was the reason why that team needed a catcher because my myself was supposed to be there to receive everything that the land was going to give me, to receive everything that my soul needed to retrieve in those parts. So yeah, and just, I was still playing ball and I still played ball for another five years after that Hawaii experience. But just by being on those lands, that was the game changer for me. That's when my heart started being like, oh, I need to be of more service in some type of way. Mm-hmm. And so what, what did that call sound like to you? What, what, were the first, uh, what were the first whispers that you got from your heart telling you that life is about more than just ball? 
Mm-hmm. When I got that call, man, I cried because uh, I was, I was going to head back to Oklahoma. That's where I went to college. That's where I went to uh, graduate school. I was going to head back there in the middle of the summer. Within a 48-hour turnover, I was instead heading further west to, to Hawaii. So that feeling just dropped me in, man. And I was like, yeah, like, whoever it's, there, there's a God. There's <laughs> absolutely a God. There's a higher power at work because this is like, I, I couldn't write this shit, man. Mm-hmm. Legit, couldn't write it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how, how long ago was that, 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 that flight to Maui? You said you played five more years of ball. So how long ago was that from today? That was, that was 2011 to 2013. It was, I played two seasons in Hawaii. Okay. Yeah. And then after that, I, I played a bit with that Hawaiian team in Japan. And then I played in Australia and I played in Germany as well. Mm-hmm. International after that. So yeah, man. Okay. So uh, any any other big moments, any other big highlights before your professional career ended that steered you to where you are now? Yeah, man. Australia. That that was a game changer for me. You just came back from Australia yourself yep. and you know the how beautiful it it's is. It's amazing. There, <laughs> how man. powerful it is. Yeah, the lands are. I lived in uh, WA in Perth, Australia. I played state league baseball out there and and it's a three-hour flight from Bali as well. So I was in between Australia and Bali going back and forth, just experiencing, again, culture and different people, and then really diving into who, who I was and, and why I was playing baseball and then how baseball has been a vehicle for me to get to these places. Because at the end of the day, I, I, I feel there could have been a way, but I wouldn't have been to those places if it wasn't for ball. So baseball started shifting from just being me hitting a baseball, throwing a ball to now this thing is a vehicle for me and it's taking me all around the world to find who the hell I am. Right on, man. So that, so let me ask you this. Let's, let's jump forward a little bit and then maybe we'll step back a little. What would you say is your purpose as clearly as you know, right? In this now moment, your purpose in this life, your mission that you came here for in this life. Mm, man, deeply in my heart, my mission is to support people in realizing that they can be in their fullest 100% expression all the time. And I'm deeply passionate about that because being from New York, New Jersey, I grew up in a hip hop R&B culture. I grew up, my father's African-American, my mom is Puerto Rican. So I grew up in like a, a, a diverse background. I don't speak Spanish, even though my mother is Puerto Rican. And I'm not quote unquote, you could say hood enough, um, as you would say growing up. So I was always in this like middle area and being light skinned. I was like, like well, where do I fit in? Where do I belong? So I always had a tough time fitting in and now getting in baseball was like my outlet. And also that was another thing. Like I was, I was from the hood, but I was playing baseball competitively, not basketball, not football. So that was another thing dudes would poke fun at me at Mm -hmm. because I was, I was quote unquote playing the white sport, you know, being, being from the hood. So my, my mission is to support people in just being who the hell they want to be, man. Mm -hmm. However that looks, whether it's on the surface level, whether it's on a deep shamanic base level, but just expressing who the hell that you are all times. Mm -hmm. So in addition to everything you already shared, because clearly a lot of your story and your life experiences led you to this purpose that you discovered about yourself. What else highlighted that for you? What else made it clear that that's what you're here for and that's how you want us to be of service? Having about 10 jobs, 10, 10 really good jobs in my career and trying to make them all work. But then my heart and soul still saying, no, this isn't for you. Mm. This isn't for you. Had some really good jobs, man. And I, and I put them away. Like I would, I would do the three months little probation period. And then something just hit like, this is not for you. Mm-hmm. This is not for you. And I, and it was so challenging to me because I, I wanted to be comfortable financially. I wanted to be stable with the home, all that, all that shit that we're, we're told we're, we should have by a certain age. So, so once I, I kept, I, I noticed the pattern of me getting these jobs and then saying like, this doesn't fit me. 
I realized that I had to be out there supporting people. Mm. Yeah, man. Because I know a lot of your, at least your recent story, I know that you've taken a lot of, a lot of big leaps, a lot of leaps of faith, trusting that your feet are going to land on the ground and just jumping without knowing. And I know for me personally, that's been a big (laughs) journey as well. I think that in order to have a life that we want, a life that we've never had before, we have to step forward into unknown places that we don't know what the outcome is going to be. And that's often where a lot of people get held up, isn't it? That not not being willing to jump out into that unknown. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's it's, it's arguably one of the scariest shits to do in this world, just to get out there and and there's just to say like I'm going to do this, not knowing, not having a plan. Because as men, like we want to be tactical at things, you know, we want to have things lined up, and even if it's not a a, a full schematic, at least an itinerary, something that we can like mess with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. So yeah, man, I've, I've, I've been blessed as well with my journey, especially because of base, a baseball background, taking a leap of faith, say being offered a scholarship and then showing up in Oklahoma after never being in Oklahoma in my life, just showing up there, mm-hmm. getting a call to go play in, I'm in Hawaii from my former manager, uh, Gary Templeton, like saying, here, man, you can come out here not knowing anything about the situation, just showing up. And that's been a theme for me. It's not about knowing the plan. It's about just showing the hell up. Yeah, man. Well, that's huge. And that's, that's not a small thing. So I definitely want to commend you for that. I think there's a lot of men out there who are, in my opinion, they're, they're suffering. Uh, and, and the suffering is of their own, of their own doing because they haven't, they haven't mustered out the confidence. They haven't mustered out the courage to step out and step forward into the life that they've always wanted. I know that was me for a long time. And I don't think it ever really stops either. At least that's what I'm coming to realize is that there's always another edge. There's always another unknown to jump and leap into. It's just how good do you get at jumping? <laughs> How familiar do you get with jumping, right? <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> it's always going to be there. There's always going to be something there, right? Yeah, man. It's always, it's like, like okay, the universe, God, whatever. It's just like, all right, you've done that. Do you want this or whatever? And yeah, it's expansion, man. And it's uh, it's how bad do we want it? And it also, there's no shame either for men, I, I feel, if they don't want to lean into their edge. Because some men, their experience, maybe they just want to be comfortable. And that they like what they're doing where they are, which which I honor that. I used to always question that. Like, man, how come you don't want to be better? How come you don't want to do this? And then I realized that I had to point my finger at myself. Like, why do I think that they're not better? Yes. Um, how come I feel they're not in that situation? So that's been a big learning curve for me this year as well. Yeah, man. It's like not everybody was put on this earth to be LeBron James or to be the president <laughs> exactly. of the United States or to, you know, to have some other high profile position of power. You know, there's a lot of powerful people in the world who you know, they're, they're fathers to three kids and they have a wife at home and they go mm. and they provide to them every day. I mean, those are, those are real life heroes, right? Those are people that live mm. and breathe that nobody ever hears about, but they're, they're living a, a large and, and heroic life. So that's a, re- that's a really good thing. I'm glad you brought that up, man, because a lot of people, I think it comes down to, are you living a life that is fulfilling to you? Do you feel like you are fulfilling mm. your reason for being here? Because if your reason for being here is to take care of three kids and a wife and to pay a mortgage and to make sure that your family is safe and provided for, then hell yeah. But if there's something missing when you go home to that, if there's something that still feels unfulfilled in that, that's when there's a bigger conversation that gets to ha- to happen. Yes, man. 100%. There's a brother, um, he works at the YMCA back in New York when I go home and work out at this dude, man, like he's, he's a custodian. He's a janitor at the YMCA. You never see this guy without a smile, man. Literally, like, picks up trash, cleans bathrooms, does everything with a smile on his face. And this dude is 100,000% fulfilled in his life. He doesn't care about moving up the ladder. He doesn't care about going below the ladder. Like, he just, he's happy where he is, and he's fulfilled. So for me, I, I see that as 
inspiration in all in so many ways because maybe he doesn't he just wants to be an embodied man he just wants to provide for his family like you said mm-hmm. his his kids and and that's beautiful yeah man and I think it's it's something only we can declare for ourselves is if we're living a fulfilling mm-hmm. life if we're living our highest potential and uh, no one can really say that for us you know if somebody knows I know there's a lot of people but people I trust especially men in my life who know me very well and will call me on my bullshit and say, Hey, you're playing small right now, man. I know that, I know this isn't you. I've, I've heard you talk about what you want to do in the world. And then I'm, you know, I'm usually like, yeah, yeah, you're right. But outside of that, it's really up to us as individuals to declare that and decide it for ourselves. So I'm thinking about the men who are listening to this, who may be in that question of, am I really living a powerful life? Am I living the life that I came here for? What would you say to them? It would be some things they could look for or notice to the, to decide if they are or, or are not living a life of purpose, a life of fulfillment. Yeah, I would say it comes back to the heart. It comes back to that feeling you get. Not that you're not good enough, but that you know that there's more in a tank for you. There's an innate feeling that we all have. I feel that's an in us that that whispers to us, that speaks to us, or sometimes just slaps us upside the head, <laughs> saying, "Hey, like like you're you're more than this." Uh-huh. You're absolutely more than this. And it's not something that I can really articulate in words because I feel the listeners right now, I feel like at least one person is like, yeah, like this is, I, I have that feeling. I can't put a finger on it. I don't know what the hell it is, but I have something in me that says, this is, this is, this is not the end of the road for me. Mm. Yeah, man. And, and sometimes life will deliver you those messages too. <laughs> I know, I know for me, I've talked about it on this podcast before, but 23 years old, romping around New York City, single, you know, no, no attachments to anything. And, and also no sense of purpose or direction or where I was going. And it was when it wasn't until I got arrested for some foolish stuff I did one night and had a, had a few hours to sit in a prison cell and look at myself and say, wow, is this really the life I came here for? Is this really the life that I'm here to live and, and what I'm here to do? And everything started to unfold after that because clearly the answer was no. There's way more waiting for me out there. I just don't know what it is yet. And so, you know, I, there's there's a, another common thread between my story and yours is about travel, about getting outside of the confines of our familiar environment, our familiar surroundings, everything that we knew growing up and everything that knew us. And I know for me, I wanted to step out into the world and see what did the world see when I stepped out where then they didn't know me. I mean, nobody who knew me, who, who, who was reflected back to me in the, in the eyes of people who have no idea who I am. Mm. And it sounds like you had a similar experience like that yourself. You know, what, what does the world see when I, when I'm traveling around playing ball in all these different countries? And it's, it's a great way, I think, to find yourself, to get out into the world and into unfamiliar settings. It is brother, for sure. I, I can also say this for myself, traveling, there was always two sides to the shadow. It was a light and, and the shadow aspects of the traveling. When I was going through my shit, traveling was me bypassing. Traveling was also me just trying to get away from shit and not dealing with shit. Mm. And so as much as I travel has supported me, traveling has also been a way for me to to not handle my shit as a man. Mm. So um, there's there's been a yin and yang with that aspect of, of wanting to be out there and going to different places. Yeah, I could definitely relate to that too, man. That's why life is so tricky, man. That's why you need good brothers around you, right? <laughs> That's why you need your circle to say, hey, man, you're hiding from something right now. <laughs> and even if you don't see it, we all yeah, see it, man. man. Everybody sees it, if, even if they don't want to tell you about it. Yeah, man, like you guys, man. Like I, I You've been in men work, men's work for what, about like seven, eight years now? Ten years? Yeah. Yeah, I guess going on eight. Hey, yeah. See, for me, like this is like, I would say my actual first year of being in men's work. Like I've been, in, I've, I've known brothers like you in my, in my past, but I haven't really been in this container of what men's work is. And I remember when Preston reached out to me and he asked me to, if I, if I could support man cave, I, I wanted to say no, 
I wanted to say no, like literally. And it was because I was still in my shit. And I knew that by saying yes, I wasn't going to be able to hide anymore from him, from uh-huh. you, and from the rest of the brothers in there. And also the men that I'm supporting because in integrity, I can't still be in my shit and supporting something called man cave <laughs> in conscious man brotherhood. Yeah. So, so yeah, man, I, I've been so grateful for that, um, that container of, of having conscious brothers around me in men's work because it, it expanded me so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. And I, I definitely echo that too, both within Consciousness and Brotherhood, on my men's team and my men's circles with my brothers from back home. There is that level of accountability that, you know, it's like when you step into that circle around the fire with the men, that, that fire lights up the whole room. Ain't, not, ain't, <laughs> ain't nothing you're going to hide. Ain't no dirty socks that's going to disappear in that, in that room. So I know there's, there's a lot of resistance to it as well for me, uh, especially when I've been on a streak of hiding from something or playing a little bit lower in my vibration, lower frequency. And I'll step into that circle. I'll be like, damn, I'll feel that sense in my gut. That's like, ah, there's something I got to come up. There's something I got to own right now. The guys are looking at me. They know, they know what's going on. They're reading my mind right now. (laughs) Yeah. I mentioned earlier, I said an inside joke for your listeners about the forehead sweat that came from earlier this year in my shadow shit that I didn't take ownership over. I was dating a beautiful soul. And instead of being clear and in integrity and ending it the way it should have ended with clear communication for me, I just hid from it. I just let it dwindle instead of speaking to it. And I started something new with somebody else. So there was like a gray area in between. And that was lingering for almost like four or five months, man. And then at the tail, the tail half of that, that's when Preston asked me about to come to Man Cave. So I was like, oh man, like what's happening to me, man? <laughs> like it's like <laughs> you, you can see how it unfolds from there. And we had the one coach's call. You're on it, uh Preston and and he told me, he just straight up told me in front of all you guys, hey bam, handle your shit. You know what I'm talking about. And then also what's even cool is that Alexi even like was walking past in the car and she was like, yeah, bam, handle your shit. <laughs> and so ac- accountability was like just there, man. And I was like, I couldn't hide. And that's where the forehead sweat came in because like, I just knew exactly what they were talking about. You guys, I explained to you what I was talking about mm-hmm. and I just couldn't hide. I couldn't hide, man. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's it. That's, and, and it's, it's uncomfortable. It goes back to those uncomfortable conversations that you said by way back in the beginning about the difference between a boy and a man, the willingness to be in the discomfort, because that's where, that's where we grow. You know, that's where mm, we grow. 100. And so, uh, yeah, it was really, it was really amazing to witness you in that process to acknowledge how uncomfortable it was. And then you handled it like right away. We got off that call. You handled it right away. And like within 24 hours, you're like, I handled it. It was uncomfortable and moving forward, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And what's, what's so interesting is that I, I should have did that five months prior, but because you guys heard it and, and you guys were there, I was inspired to take action mm-hmm. just like that. Yeah. So I'm like, all that energy that could have been cleared five months before I was holding on to shit. Yeah. And here's the other ironic thing, and I'm sure you can relate specifically around this example or any other one, is that usually the thing that we want to hide from folks, especially from our brothers, as soon as we come forward with it, every hand in the circle goes up and goes, man, can I, I can relate to that. I went through that three <laughs> years ago. I went through that last week. I've been there before. And we look, we think we're going to look bad when people see the dirty socks that we're, we think that we're hiding. But instead, we actually look better when we own it. <laughs> when we actually just take mm. over, like, yeah, mm-hmm. I got this going on right now. I could use some help. Help me see what I'm not seeing. I want to clean it up. That's one of the most respectable moves that that I could see because no man is perfect. There's no there's no yeah. man walking this earth. No human walking this earth who is pitching a perfect game. 
and who never steps out of integrity. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's more, it's not as it's for, to me, it's not about who can stay in integrity. It's who can return to integrity the quickest. Mm. Matters. Yep. As I say to our guys in man cave, I say in-game adjustments, man. It's like, it's not about being perfect. It's just how quick can you make that adjustment? That's why LeBron James is the best player on the planet mm-hmm. because he can make an adjustment quicker than, than a second. Yeah. Like he can just do it where it takes another guy a second. So yeah, man. That's it. I get with you with that. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to get focused too much on what you left in your wake. You want to keep moving forward with, with what's on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. Well, before we start to wrap up, you said something amazing before we got, got to recording something that has also been on my mind recently, focusing on a different type of abundance, you know, this word abundance, even right, like right up there with conscious and abundance, all these words that are getting thrown around, but abundance so often gets thrown into this money conversation. But you said that you lately, you've been focusing on an abundance around you. That's not just in money form. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to speak to that because I think that's something really valuable for men to hear. Yeah, man. It's been something that I've been consciously working on is this 2018 has been, it has been challenging like financially on all aspects for me and, um, and having that flow constantly come in. And I, because I was only looking at things through monetary, through that kind of flow of abundance. And within the last two months, I was like, you know what? Like I'm, I'm limited, I'm limiting abundance to monetary. And that's, that's bullshit. Abundance comes from source. It comes from the universe. It's expansive. It's infinite. So who am I to limit it to just some paper Mm. to a credit card, you know? Mm. So I started seeing things, everything as abundance. Somebody wants to buy me a slice of pizza, abundance. (laughs) Somebody wants to let me stay in their house, abundance. Like I, and if we actually put a price tag on these things that we receive, that we, that we get and all this stuff. And it's, it adds up to our, you could say soul salary <laughs> because we're willing to look at <laughs> these things. Um, that's, that's in the nature, man, that that's around us. And also, and take away from that things like you see the grass, you see the trees, that's abundance. Like everything is abundance around us. And it's not just in the form that, that, that we say, because that's not the truth of what abundance is. Mm. Yeah, man. I, lo- I love how you said that. Um, it made me think of uh, when people have uh, investments, they have like an investment portfolio. And this is more like we're talking about your soul folio. You know, what, do you, what, what, what investments <laughs> do you have outside of money? What's what's in your soul folio right now? <laughs> bro, yeah, coin that right now, bro, the soul folio. It's, it's recorded, man. And we, we could share the trademark on that one. <laughs> yeah, that's dope, man. Uh, but here's the deal, man. Yeah. I, I, I'm 31 years old. I have... Uh, a three-year-old boy, a wife, uh, another baby coming on the way. When I turned 30 years old, I looked back. Thank you, brother. When I turned 30 years old, I looked back on my life and I was like, man, I started to play the comparison game a little bit because all of my homies from college, everybody I know who I grew up with from high school and all these different backgrounds, everybody's starting to have the post with, we just bought our first house. Right. Or, um, or, or our rental property we just bought or or all these different things that they accumulate uh, going the, the path that that a lot of people go, that a lot of people that, that society tells us we should go, right? We should invest in property. And like, damn, I don't have a property. I don't own a property yet. I don't have like a a stock portfolio. I don't have any of that stuff. But what have I been investing in? And I realized that through my twenties, I invested in relationships. I invested in experiences and relationships, and that has a very robust presence in my soul folio. And, and, you know, mm. I, my, my family and I, we can travel almost anywhere in the world and there's somebody that's going to give us a place to stay because we've created community. You know, there's, there's yes. so many people that we could call on if we needed support, if we really needed somebody to have our back. Um, 
And even though we don't have multiple rental properties, we don't own the, you know, the, the five bedroom house yet. Um, it was because we were putting our attention on something different. We were putting, we were investing in something different and there's a lot more to life than just investing money. Although I'm at a point in my life right now where I'm ready to have that house. I'm ready to have that land. I'm ready to have yeah, that, yeah. have that savings. Um, and so I just, I just wanted to share that cause I know that you and I, we've, we've been, we've both been on our own money journeys. And I, when you shared what you shared about abundance, I realized that that was a big thing that I needed to learn heading into my thirties. And I think a lot of us men, um, if that's not your path, if that is your path to, you know, get a bunch of property, invest in real estate, invest in all this stuff, then go for it. But if that's not where you're at, then what have you been investing in? What have mm-hmm. you been putting your resources into? Because everybody's investing in something, even if it's, even if it's bullshit, even if it's like, you know, drugs <laughs> and prostitutes or shit, you're investing in something. You are. So yep. what is it? What have you been investing in and leaving it like that? <laughs> that's powerful, bro. And I get that. And for the viewers as well, I mean, listeners, it's uh, Jetty. He's, He's, like I said, he's born in Jersey. I'm born in Jersey. Jetty's uh, exactly a month older than me, I believe. And we were born within, I think, 30 minutes of each other in Jersey. <laughs> so, and, and, and we linked up this year for the first time. And it's been, it's been a blessing to, uh, to serve by him in Conscious Man Brotherhood, also with Ryan Fontana the first time. And, and man, it's, it's, uh, you inspired me, Jetty. So I, I just wanted to say, man, I'm, I'm grateful for you, for your presence in my life, and, and also calling me on my shit, man, and, and offering me new ways to, to look at things. Mm. And uh, I remember when the first time you offered me a way to look at something, man, I was like, yo, fuck this guy, man. Like, I, can't stand this I was like, this guy, man, like, no, forget him. But now I'm like, man, like he, you come with so much love, bro. And, um, and I appreciate that. Like it's, it's, I'm grateful for it every day, bro. Thank you, brother. Likewise, man, I, I, I could pour all types of praise upon you for, for the way that I've seen you show up and the way that I've seen you step into some really big unknowns in your life, man. It's really inspiring. You definitely inspire me. You inspire the men around you. And yeah, man, it's great to be arm in arm with you in this, this, this mission that we've got to, to elevate men all over the world and to be a part of that, man. I really appreciate our relationship. So like that, man, before we wrap up, I got a couple of lightning questions, like real quick, one-liner responses. You ready for this? Yep. All right. So what is one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18? One thing I learned in my life when I was 18, uh, speak up. Speak up. I like that one. I haven't heard that one yet. Nice. Um, and what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Integrity. There it is. Sweaty forehead, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Last but not least, how can people follow you, learn more about what you're doing, hit us with the socials, the websites, whatever you want everybody to know. You can hit me up on Instagram. It's uh, my name, Brendan Durrell, and or Inner Light Warrior. Just how it sounds. All one word, Inner Light Warrior and on, uh, on the gram. Right. Yeah, man. By the way, if you guys don't follow Bam on the gram, he comes up with what is possibly the the best memes I've ever seen <laughs> in circulation, <laughs> man. You keep me in stitches over here. I never told you that, man, but I, I get so into it. Carrie and I were both saying, man, Bam comes up with the best stuff. Um, and I'm not big on, <laughs> on memes or any of that stuff. I didn't even know what it was. I used to call them memes up until about a year and a half ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, my, my man Bam over at Inner Light Warrior, hit him up on Instagram because he's he's hilarious and and super. You carry a lot of wisdom with you, bro. Thank you for bringing all of it here onto the Rise Man Podcast today, and for everything you're doing out there in the world, man. It's uh, it's an honor to be in service by your side and to be uh, to have you as a brother in my life, man. Uh, Jetty, that's all received, man. Deeply love you, bro. Love you too, brother. 
really enjoyed this chat with Bam. He's such a big-hearted man, but he also keeps it real. We're both from the East Coast, and he's got that flavor of realness that he brings to the table. And so uh, I really hope that you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Any opportunity to dive deep with Bam and to really just open up our hearts and share what's true is a good one. Is a good one. I'm glad we got to catch it for all you guys out there. One thing you'll notice is that Bam and I took an opportunity to really have a dialogue here. And this is something I'm going to be focusing on more going into 2019, going into our second year with the Rising Man podcast. I really want to create more conversations, more dialogue with these with these amazing men who are coming on this show. So I want to hear your feedback on that. I want to hear how that landed for you. Did you enjoy this conversation, this interview a little bit more than others? Was there something that really stood out to you that you want to hear more of, see more of? Please leave comments and uh, let us know how we're doing with this because, like I said, it's all about you guys. It's all about the value you guys are getting. So, I also, again, want to mention for those of you who heard at the top of the episode, for those of you who are sitting on the fence and wondering whether you should jump in or not to the Elements Initiation Weekend here happening January 18th to the 20th, it will be an experience that will set the tone for not only the rest of your year, but the rest of your life. And I say that confidently because I know what happens when we take men out of their normal lives, bring you into nature, sleep under the stars, and strip away all the layers of bullshit that you live with in your day-to-day life. It's really powerful, and I'm looking forward to taking another team of men out. The first round of Elements was amazing, and the second round is going to be even better. So head over to riseyazumacom slash elements right now to reserve your spot and to find out more about what it's all about. And as always, check out the links and resources from this episode and other episodes at therisingmanpodcast.com. My man Julian, who has been publishing and crushing all the show notes and everything behind the scenes that you guys don't even know about, but I'm sure you appreciate. Um, Shout out to Julian, who's doing all that big work behind the scenes, man. I really appreciate you, brother. As always, please subscribe or follow us on the podcast app of your choice. Leave those reviews and comments, guys, because it really helps us to know what your biggest takeaways are, what your biggest insights are, what we can be doing better, what we we can keep doing more of to make this podcast as valuable as it can be. Last but not least, please check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Podcast. My man Rowan, Rowan Tyne, at Rowan Tyne, R O W A N T Y N E on Instagram, killing the social media game. It's just been amazing having him put a new spin, a new flavor on our social media presence. Really appreciate that. Make sure you guys give us a follow if you're not already because the images and the messages that Rowan is putting on these episodes is just incredible. And share it up, send it out there, send it out to more men because we want to enhance and grow this audience that has been growing steadily ever since we started last year. So big love to you, Rowan. Check us out at Rising Man Podcast on Instagram. My man, Sean Offenbach at Infinite Melodics at Infinite M-E-L-O-D-I-X on Instagram. The audio wizard, the editing engineer man behind the scenes, making every episode clean and tight and getting it done on a short deadline, especially while I've been traveling. Sean, I appreciate the work you do, bro. And my man, Mark Rose. Love you, brother. Appreciate you. Appreciate everything you've been holding down behind the scenes to keep things pumping for us. So you guys don't even know, man. I'm so blessed to have such an amazing team at my back. And they're the ones who's really going to make everything bigger and better this year. So big shouts to you guys. And for everybody else who's listening, until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.